Chapter Twenty of the Barnabys in America by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty. Mrs. Carmichael entertains a splendid evening party of which Mrs. Allen Barnaby is the heroine. The nature and principles of her book are fully explained to the company and received with enthusiastic applause. Mrs. Allen Barnaby propounds various questions to the company, which are most satisfactorily answered. The evening party at Mrs. Carmichael's was a very large one, much larger as that panting and blowing lady assured the company than she had at all expected, adding, however, that if they could all make themselves comfortable, she should be right down glad they were all come, though for sure and certain she did not expect the one half so many. Neither the invited nor the inviters, however, appeared at all offended by these hints, and tea, coffee, lemonade, and whiskey drinking went on very prosperously. At length, Mrs. Beauchamp, who in answer to a question gently asked, had learned from her friend Mrs. Allen Barnaby that she had no objection whatever to her mentioning the fact of her having actually begun her work, addressing herself particularly to that portion of the company which crowded round herself and her splendid English friend, said, I have the greatest pleasure in informing the Honorable Judge Johnson, his lady, General Gregory, Mrs. General Gregory, and in short all the friends that are interested in the news, that our talented English lady friend, Mrs. Major Allen Barnaby, has done, commenced her elegant and handsome work upon the land of the stars and the stripes, and I am not that much doubtful of her kindness, but what I think there is pretty considerable good hope that if the Honourable Judge Johnson would make the request to the lady, she would favour the company by reading up a little of it for their advantage, and that Mrs. Major Allen Barnaby would be clever enough to sit down straight away at once, and give us the pleasure and improvement we wish for, by making us acquainted with what she has done. This harangue was received by a murmur of applause that evidently proceeded, not only from that portion of the company particularly addressed, but from every quarter of the room and when the buzz this produced had a little subsided, the Honorable Judge Johnson replied, We cannot by many degrees thank you enough, my excellent Mrs. Colonel Beauchamp, for the service which your truly patriotic conduct has conferred upon us all. But in the name not only of the present company, but of every part of the Union, except indeed that unhappy portion of it which refuses to rejoice in the greatest blessing left to us by the mighty Washington, and sanctified, as I may say, by the holy memory of the immortal Jefferson, I mean, of course, the misguided states who refuse to possess the blessing of a slave, in the name of the present company, and of all the soundly patriotic portion of the Union, I beg to thank your admirable friend for the very noble effort she is making in the cause of truth and impartiality, and I beg to say that one and all of us neither can nor do desire anything better than just to sit ourselves down round about the lady, so that we may not lose a single one of the precious words which she is going to have the elegant cleverness to read to us. The consequence of this speech from the richest man in the room was an immediate drawing together of the company round Mrs. Allen Barnaby, while several of the gentlemen began actively to move forward a table, a chair, and a footstool for the authoress and when she had placed herself, which she did with great stateliness and dignity, every one present got as near to her as was conveniently possible, every sofa and every chair being put in requisition, and made to approach the end of the room whence the attraction emanated. The Honourable Judge Johnson himself sat at her right hand, and her deeply interested friend Mrs. Beauchamp at her left. 
Miss Matilda Perkins, who had found out a new way of making herself interesting and agreeable to the many tall, beautiful-looking American gentlemen who still continued to take so much delightful notice of her, ceased not in the very centrical place which she had chosen to indulge in the most expressive dumb-show demonstrations of love and admiration for the authoress, assuring several in whispers breathed into their eagerly presented ears that her dearest of all dear friends, Mrs. Allen Barnaby, was certainly sent by Providence to speak of that unequalled country called the the United States of America in the manner it deserved, for that there never was, no, never, such a woman for talents and learning of all sorts, her crowning phrase being at the end of every whisper, Oh, Madame de Staly was nothing to her. The quiet Miss Louisa, only too happy in being permitted to have a place by her friend Annie, sat at an open window at some distance from the more crowded part of the room, while Mr. Egerton, who now paid her quite attention enough to have convinced her sister, had she been its object, that he was only waiting for a favorable opportunity of declaring himself her lover, stationed himself at a convenient point for speaking either to her or her thoroughly American companion, if he wished it, without the necessity to do it so loudly as to attract the attention of the others. The major, who was exceedingly amused, and also exceedingly well pleased by the apparent success of this new exhibition of his wife's cleverness, had placed himself very much at his ease on one of the sofas that was too large and heavy to be moved, but from whence he had a full view of her, and of all her goings-on, and, being well aware of the audibility of her voice, he had no fear but that he should hear every word she spoke. Patty, who was still too much in love to think it much worth while to listen to anything but her husband, having entered the room when it was full, employed some time in a very active search for him, and at length discovered that her beloved Don was fast asleep under an orange tree on the balcony. But as none of her pinches and twitches sufficed to awaken him, she at length determined to leave him at peace, and placed herself next to her beautifully dressed friend, Mrs. General Gregory, finding a great relief in an accurate examination of all she wore, whenever it happened that her mamma's eloquence was particularly overpowering. The movement and the bustle and the whisper and the buzz, which of necessity precedes the calm required for such a business as that now going on, being at length over, the Honorable Judge Johnson said aloud and very distinctly, now then, my dear lady, we all trust and hope that you are ready to begin. Mrs. Allen Barnaby bowed with grace and dignity to the gentleman who thus addressed her, shook a lavender water odor from her pocket handkerchief, pushed back with the tips of her left-hand fingers the abounding curls from her forehead, and with those of her right lightly passed over the page that lay on the table before her to restore its level smoothness, and then began. Justice done at last, or... The travels of Mrs. Major Allen Barnaby through the United States of America. Having pronounced this title in a voice clear, distinct, and very sufficiently loud, the lady paused for a moment to let the applause she expected and which failed not to come pass away. Mr. Egerton, whose eyes had been fixed on the authoress as she read it, turned, perhaps involuntarily, to the face of Annie afterwards. It might be that he expected to see her look exceedingly delighted at the prospect thus held out of praise and honor to be conferred on her beloved country, but if so he was disappointed, for the fair face of the young lady was tinted with a blush that looked much more like the glow of anger or of shame than of pleasure, and as her eye met his, she turned from him with a frown of displeasure, which she could not help thinking was exceedingly undeserved, he never having taken any such liberty as that which now seemed to displease her in his life. He consoled himself, however, by remembering how excessively absurd it would be, should he try to persuade himself that he cared a straw whether an American miss smiled or frowned upon him. So he did but smile in return for her frown, and again fixed his eyes on Mrs. Allen Barnaby. 
the applause created by her title being over and expectant silence restored, that lady again took her manuscript from the table, where she had replaced it, while slightly agitating her handkerchief and gracefully acknowledging the plaudits of the company by her smiles and bows, and thus resumed in giving to the world the following narrative of my travels through that most glorious country known by the name of the united states of america my principal object is to wipe away from the minds of my readers every trace of all that they had ever read or heard upon that subject before for till this has been done it is vain to hope that the multitude of important facts with which i have been fortunate enough to become acquainted can be received as they ought to be nobody properly qualified to write upon this wonderful country could behold a single town a single street a single house a single individual of it for just one single half-hour without feeling all over to his very heart convinced that not all the countries of the old world put together are worthy to compare in any one respect from the very greatest to the very least with the free-born the free-bred the immortal and ten hundred thousand times more glorious country generally called that of the stars and the stripes the country of the stars and the stripes is in fact and beyond all reach of contradiction the finest country in the whole world and the simple truth is that nobody who really knows anything about it can ever think of calling it anything else it is just the biggest and the best and that is saying everything in two words admirable exclaimed mrs beauchamp raising her fine eyes towards heaven and then pressing her pocket-handkerchief to them in a manner that plainly showed the profound sensibility with which she listened to praise so justly due and so warmly uttered upon the merits of her beloved country oh it is admirable admirable it is first-rate ma'am said the honourable judge johnson warmly i expect madam he added turning towards mrs allen barnaby i expect that nobody has yet come among us so elegantly well qualified as yourself for doing the justice that you promise us i do not mean to speak alone of your particular great talents and beautiful accomplishments in writing but i guess that it is because you have moved in the very highest of circles yourself that you are more up to the comprehending and admiring everything you have found here than any of the low whippersnapper people as have come before you that is what i guess to be the reason and true cause of the difference you do me but justice my dear sir replied mrs allen barnaby with an air that might justly be called majestically modest you do me but justice in supposing that i am rather out of the common way capable of appreciating what is noble and superior heaven knows that i have no very great liking or partiality to the ways and manners of my own country but yet in justice to myself i think it but right to mention that my very last visit in london was to the drawing-room of the queen i must beg and entreat that i may not be misunderstood in saying this and that none of this charming company will suppose for an instant that i think over much about queens and kings and those sort of people nobody i am sure can be farther from it than i am but nevertheless i just mention this to prove that the honourable judge johnson is right and quite correct in what he has been pleased to say about my being capable of judging and i do believe most truly that the reason why so much as i am told has been said about the backwardness and elegance of this most great and glorious country is that all the people who have come over here before are of an inferior class and not used so much to the very first circles as i confess i have been then the murder's out and that's the truth of it exclaimed colonel wingrove a member of congress and a man of fashion who was one of mrs carmichael's boarders 
All I wanted was to hear some of the English confess it themselves, for it is exactly what I have said a thousand and a thousand times. And it is astonishing to me that common sense has not pointed that out to everybody long and long ago. For doesn't it stand to reason that we know what we are our own selves? Who is there, I should have liked to be told, so capable of judging what our manners are as the first-rate educated among ourselves? And yet people among us, as ought to know better, are forever fretting and fuming because half a dozen vulgar low-borns, who never knew the elegant luxury of owning a score of slaves to wait upon them, have come and gone without having the wit to find out what we really are. For my part, I snap my fingers at them all, continued the gallant colonel, suiting the action to the word, and so I ever have done. But that's no hindrance to my feeling a true respect for the real lady that is come amongst us now and I beg pardon for interrupting her so long, and beg to conclude by saying that she may count upon being valued and approved as she deserves to be, for there is not a people upon the whole earth that knows more thoroughly what's what than the citizens of the United States. Here Colonel Wingrove ceased speaking, and expectorated, while the Honorable Judge Johnson bowed to him with the condescension of a man who knows himself to be the first person in the company. What you have spoken, Colonel Wingrove, sir, is of a piece with the good sense which we all know you give out in Congress, and which is just what in course we all expect from you. But now it strikes me that it is time for Mrs. Allen Barnaby to begin again, though it may be that she would find a drink of lemonade preferable in the first instance, for this glorious fine climate of ours is most times found rather over-hot by strangers from northernmost countries, especially if, as in the present case, they happen to be in a room full of company. Mrs. Carmichael immediately obeyed this hint by clapping her hands, upon which Cleopatra and her younger sister Chloe, who were both in waiting on the outside of the open door, started forward, and lemonade and whiskey were very liberally handed round to the numerous circle. "'Now then, honoured madam,' said the judge, "'may we take the liberty of asking you to progress in your agreeable reading?' Mrs. Allen Barnaby bowed and immediately proceeded. If there is one point that is calculated to strike a reasonable stranger, altogether free from vulgar prejudice, more strongly than any other, at first arriving in this favoured and immortal country, it certainly is the contemplation of the comfort and happiness arising from the institution of slavery. God bless my soul, cried Colonel Beauchamp, roused from his usual apathetic indolence by these stirring words. That's one of the finest sentences that I ever listened to, either in or out of Congress, and I don't care who hears me say it. Nobody can hear you say it, sir, remarked the mild-looking George Gregory, without agreeing in your judgment, unless indeed we were so unhappy as to have among us some desperately malignant Pennsylvanian, or canting Bostonian or the like, traitors to their country and to common sense. None other can fail to agree with you in thinking that the last passage read to us by this truly superior lady is a proof of the greatest triumph of sound judgment over canting prejudice, coming as it does from an Englishwoman that has perhaps ever been met with. And deeply indeed, madam, ought we to value it, for seldom is it, I grieve to say, that any writers whatever, except among the poor persecuted planters themselves, are ever found to have honest courage enough to speak out boldly in print in favor of this truly Roman and magnificent institution. But there is one word, one little word, my dear lady, that it will be necessary to insert before your admirable work is sent to the press. Will you give me leave to suggest it? There is nothing, sir, replied Mrs. Allen Barnaby with mingled gentleness and dignity, 
there is nothing for which I should feel myself so deeply grateful as for any suggestions, whether in the way of additions or alterations to this work, which perhaps I have been only too eager to begin. I am well aware that I must in all probability appear hasty, but my earnest wish. Not a bit, not a bit too hasty, madam, exclaimed the Honourable Judge Johnson, interrupting her. I honour you for your eagerness, madam, and it is never too soon to begin doing what is right. As to suggestions now and then, in the way of addition, you are much too smart a lady not to feel the advantage of it. But I protest that in the way of alteration I don't see the slightest chance of its being called for, or in any way necessary. All we have ever asked of those who came over to enjoy our good things and take a spice, as I may say, of the elegance and luxury in which we live, all we ask of them is, that when they sit down after going back, to write a book about what they have seen. They should just speak the truth without fear or favor, and say honestly that the United States of America stands just first and foremost and highest and noblest among all the nations of the earth. That's all we want or wish for from any author, male or female, gentle or simple. And by all I can understand from what this excellent good lady has read to us of her commencement, he added, looking round upon the listening circle. This is pretty much the upshot of what she means to report herself. Upon my word, sir, said Mrs. Allen Barnaby, with a very amiable smile, I do not and cannot see how it is possible, setting aside, of course, all sorts of wicked prejudice, envy, and the like, I really do not see how it is possible to say anything else. I wish it was possible for me to say, madam, that there were many such ladies in the world as you are, replied the judge. I reckon that in that case we wouldn't care no more for the boundary question than for a flea-bite, and for that matter, indeed, if just that much was granted us, the slavery boggle, you know, of course included, I really and truly don't think that the right of search itself would be thought any great deal of long. But now let us hear what it was that General Gregory was meaning by his alteration. Hardly an alteration, Judge, hardly an alteration, returned the bland old gentleman. What I ask for is merely the insertion of a word or two. When the lady speaks of the agreeable impression which the sight of slavery makes on superior-minded people on their first arriving in the United States, she must, I think, so far particularize as to make it clear that she speaks of the feelings which would arise in case the stranger should be fortunate enough to come, as the lady herself did, to a slave-holding state in the first instance. For if, instead of that, the person arriving was to make their first acquaintance with the Union at Boston, now, for instance, it is likely enough that they would never dream of such a thing as slavery at all, and then, in course, it follows that they could not admire it. I understand, sir, I understand perfectly, said the intelligent Mrs. Allen Barnaby. You are quite right. The sentence, as it now stands, is exceedingly imperfect, but if any gentleman will be good enough to lend me a pencil for a moment, I will correct it. A most surprising number of pencils and pencil cases seemed to spring, as it were, almost spontaneously from the waistcoat pockets of the surrounding gentlemen. On seeing which, the authoress threw around her smile most safely circular, and took with admirable tact the pencil that was nearest. Well, indeed, might it have been said of her on this occasion. Oft she rejects, but never once offends. For among all the pencil-holders who had to return their unaccepted offerings to the receptacles from whence they were drawn, not one of them, so admirable had been Mrs. Allen Barnaby's manner of getting out of the scrape, felt in the slightest degree offended. 
It took, of course, a few minutes to reconstruct the defective sentence, and during this interval there was scarcely a gentleman present who did not raise his voice to join in what might truly have been called a chorus of praise and admiration. Mrs. Allen Barnaby heard and wrote and smiled and wrote again, and much sooner than under these fluttering and flattering circumstances could have been expected, she once more pushed back her curls and prepared to read. In a moment every other voice was hushed, and she thus resumed. If there is one point that is calculated to strike a reasonable stranger, altogether free from vulgar prejudice, and arriving for the first time in that most highly favored portion of the United States distinguished by the high privilege which was sanctioned by the immortal Washington, and by the illustrious Jefferson approved, a splendid phrase she had written down from the lips of Mrs. Beauchamp, it certainly is the contemplation of the comfort and happiness arising from the institution of slavery. Now then, said the still wide-awake Colonel Beauchamp, now then, I think, madam, that you might challenge all the authors that ever wrote to show a sentence more full of truth and wisdom than that is. I am sure, madam, we can never thank you enough, and I, for one, beg to say that as long as it is suitable to your convenience and pleasure to continue in the Union, my house and home shall be open to you and yours, and that nothing that I and my family can do shall be wanting to make you feel yourself as if you were a real-born American. A vast number of voices immediately reiterated nearly the same words, and while this was going on, Mr. Egerton once more ventured to look in the face of Annie. It was, however, no longer a frown that he met there, neither did any angry glow remain upon her brow. She was indeed, on the contrary, unusually pale, and he fancied, although she did not raise her eyes, that there were tears in them, for their long dark lashes hung heavily, like the fringe of a cypress branch besprinkled with dew upon her alabaster cheek. But although Annie did not raise her eyes when the young Englishman turned to look at her, it is possible that she was conscious of his doing so for in the next moment she had risen from her chair, glided over the space which divided her from the window, and stepped through it upon the balcony. Not many men of any age can see a very beautiful young girl in tears without experiencing some kindly softening of the heart towards them, but at three or four and twenty this sort of softness is usually too powerful in its influence to permit, for the moment at least, the continuance of any harsh or hostile feeling and certainly Mr. Egerton just then quite forgot the perfect Americanism of Annie Beauchamp. But what was stranger still, though he very greatly wished to follow her, he had not the courage or confidence to do it. But though upon reaching the balcony she contrived so to place herself as not to be seen by either him or anyone else in the room, he was so much occupied by the image of her pale, sad, lovely face as she went out, that he lost whatever advantage of any kind might have been gained by attending to what was going on in the saloon, for he did not distinctly hear another word. Pleasantly conscious as Mrs. Allen Barnaby was of her great powers, as well in her new occupation of writing a book, as in everything else, she had nevertheless found, after the first sentence or two, that the putting together the fine phrases which have been given above was likely to be a very great bore. And, to say the truth, when she laughed off, it was because she really did not know what she should say next. It was then that the happy idea of writing down a few questions to be answered either by her inspiring muse, Mrs. Colonel Beauchamp, or by someone else of the high standards whose favor she was so anxious to propitiate, occurred to her. And now it stood her in excellent good stead. 
for when, upon the subsiding of the burst of grateful and hospitable feeling just described, the Honourable Judge Johnson raised his voice to request that she would continue, instead of having to make the blank reply of, "'Sir, I have got no more,' she was able to answer in a tone that, instead of damping, very greatly increased the interest she had already awakened. "'Now then, my most kind and indulgent hearers,' she said, "'I have a great, a very great favour to ask of you.' and Mrs. Allen Barnaby drew forth, from amidst the papers which she had placed upon the table, the sheet upon which she had written her questions. "'I have here,' she resumed, "'put down one or two inquiries which strike me as being very important, and in which I hope and trust my excellent friends here assembled will be kind enough to give me some information.' "'Assuredly, madam, assuredly,' answered three or four voices at once. "'Please to read the inquiries, madam.' Only please to read them, that's all. Mrs. Allen Barnaby obeyed, and in her most sonorous and impressive accents read, In what manner does the Republican form of government appear to affect the social habits of the people? It was her intention to have gone through her whole string of questions before she paused to invite discussion on them. But this was impossible. You might have fancied yourself in the Chamber of Congress at Washington, so eager did every honorable member appear to speak on the subject now offered for discussion. But, by force of lungs, and the impetus given to his determination to be heard, by the consciousness that he was the richest man in the company, it was the Honorable Judge Johnson who finally succeeded in becoming spokesman on the occasion. In what manner? Gracious heaven! My dearest lady, in every manner! The Republican form of government is just all in all. Without it, you may take my word for it, we should not be a bit better or a bit wiser or a bit more advanced than other people. It is the Republican form of government that makes us the citizens, the statesmen, the philosophers, and the rich men that we are. It is to the Republican form of government that we owe our immense superiority in all ways. It is that which makes us such fathers and husbands as we are. It is that which makes us feared abroad and adored at home. And to end all, it is that which makes us great. It is that which makes us glorious. In one word, it is that which makes us the greatest nation upon the earth, and it is that which will keep us so. While this was spoken, Mrs. Allen Barnaby sat the very picture of mute and earnest attention. Her ears seemed to gather the sounds she heard as a miser might gather gold, and her mind, showing itself through her intelligent eye, appeared already setting to work, in order to form it into implements both of use and ornament, such as might be scattered over the whole earth, sure to become the most precious treasures of every land they reached. When at length the judge stopped to take breath, the listening lady rose from her seat, and, laying her hand upon her breast, said in a manner that very greatly touched her hearers, "'Never can the impressive words I have now heard escape from my memory. It was my intention to have written down whatever information I might have been happy enough to obtain in reply to my questions. But for this one the answer is engraven here.' It is hardly necessary to narrate how these words were received. Cold, indeed, must be the heart that cannot imagine it. When tranquillity was again restored, Mrs. Allen Barnaby, who had reseated herself, during the moments wherein she had yielded herself, as it were, to applause, once more took up her paper and read. How far does the absence of a national form of worship produce the results anticipated from it? 
Oh, that's answered in half a word, madam, resumed the judge, who seemed to consider himself the chairman of the committee, sitting to decide upon the lady's questions. It just answers as we intended, and that's enough. We knew beforehand that it would never do for such a people as us to be schooling of one another for everlasting about forms and doctrines and the old one knows what. You may just set down on that bit of the Constitution that it works perfect. And now, if you please, you may go on to the next. At what degree of elevation may the education of the ladies of the Union be considered to stand when compared to that received by the females of other countries? Oh, my! Well, now. Isn't that capital? I expect that one and all we ladies must answer that for ourselves, were words which, like winged messengers, seemed flying round Mrs. Allen Barnaby in all directions, but happily in a tone which showed that if the ladies were called upon to speak for themselves, it was a call to which they should have no objection to answer. You may say that, ladies, said Colonel Wingrove, gaily and politely winking at the most eager speakers. Nobody can answer that question, I expect, as well as your own pretty selves. But if I was obliged to say my say on the subject, I know that it would be just to declare that the gals of the Union beat all creation, not in any wise to mention all the other women in it, and that they do, out and out, and out again, ten millions of times over, in every sort of learning and gentility, as much as they do in beauty. This gallant speech was received with a regular clapping of hands from all the gentlemen present, while the gals simpered and tittered and smirked, and brought their heads together in little whispering knots, till at length one very young lady's voice was distinctly heard to say, Well now, I do hope that she will write down that exactly, without changing a word. And so I will, my dear young lady, cried Mrs. Allen Barnaby affectionately and my heart dilates with pleasure as I look around me, and think of the happy chance by which I have been called upon to do justice to such lovely and elegant creatures as I see here. Very prettily said, ma'am, said General Gregory with his usual kind smile, and I must observe that we have a right, too, to talk of our own good fortune, that has brought us so altogether genteel and understanding a lady to write about us as yourself. There is nobody to be found, I expect, General, who will be ready to gainsay that word, said the Honorable Judge Johnson. And now I shall give my vote and interest for our being all silent while this excellent lady goes on with her questions. Now then, ma'am, we are all mum. I have but one, or rather, I should say that I have but two questions more on my list at present, said Mrs. Allen Barnaby. I say, too, because I perceive that I have divided the subject under two distinct heads. But, if you will give me leave, I will read them both together, as being too intimately connected for division. And if I mistake not, gentlemen, you will feel the subject to be one of very great importance, and of a nature to require the very best and most correct information before I can venture to write upon it. In what manner was slavery originally instituted? And what are its real effects? both on the white and the black population. Scarcely had Mrs. Allen Barnaby pronounced the words when so many voices were raised to answer her that for some minutes nothing could be heard distinctly. This will never do, gentlemen, cried the judge, raising his powerful voice to its very highest pitch. We are one and all interested in this question, or the devil's in it. But if you all keep on jabbering together at this infernal rate, just like so many wild geese when they are settling down upon a common, I should like to know how the lady is to understand rightly a single word you say. 
I don't want or wish to put myself forward, excepting in fit time and season, but I expect there is no one here that will attempt to deny that the advocation of my principles upon this subject in Congress has done something towards startling the New Englanders off from their infernal abolition nonsense, and if so, I think it is but fair to give me a try as to whether I can't startle the old Englanders a little too. What do you say, gentlemen? Are you willing to let me answer the lady, or are you not? However much many of the individuals present might have desired to hear themselves speak a little on this very favorite theme, a very decided majority made it understood that they were willing to accept the Honorable Judge Johnson as their substitute, and no sooner was this made perfectly clear and silence obtained than the judge rose up, and, putting himself in the attitude in which he always addressed the members of Congress, he thus spoke. As to the first member of your requirement, my good lady, I will just take the liberty of saying that you may go to your Bible for an answer. And if you don't exactly know where to look for it, there is that excellent pious Christian, the lady of General Gregory, will show you, for she has got it all at her finger's ends about Cain being turned black by the hand of the Lord on purpose that he might become the father of a nation of blackimore nigger slaves and that's the top and head of the institution, as I take it. However, I will leave that part of the subject to her, because it is well known to everybody in our part of the country that there is no one, be he priest, parson, or prelate, that understands it better. But I will take upon me, in my own person, to make a reply to the other portion of your inquiry, that being altogether in my own way, and touching direct upon points whereon my principles have been prettily generally received in Congress, as standard principles of the wealthiest, the most enlightened, and in all ways the most important portion of the Union. The Honorable Judge here paused for a moment, spit, wiped his mouth with the back of his hand, and then proceeded. As to the effect of slavery upon the white part of the population, as that is the way in which you have been pleased to put your question, my good lady, whereas we should say, as to its effect upon the masters, it is altogether a matter too clear to admit of any mistake. In the first place, it makes the only real gentleman in the Union. In the second place, it saves the finest people upon God's earth from the abominable degradation of having no servants, proper and fitting, as regular servants to wait upon them. Thirdly, slavery is known on all sides to be the only way in which the glorious fine sun and soil of this noblest of all countries can be turned to the best account. Fourthly, there is no other way that man can invest by which such fortunes can be made in the Union as may enable among the free-born of our glorious citizens and immortal republic to keep up the credit of the country, both at home and abroad, in such a way as to give us proper dignity in the eyes of Europe. And now, madam, I will leave off speaking upon this head for the present, because I calculate that I have said about as much as you will be able to remember at one go but I have got not less than fifty-seven reasons altogether, which I can bring forward when you are ready for them, to support my principles, but with which I will not now charge your memory in the fear that you might not remember them all clearly. But this signifies the less, because it is proper, madam, that you keep in mind the necessity of coming again upon this part of your subject, it being greatly beyond all comparison the most important of all. As to your question about the niggers themselves, poor, filthy varmint, it is vastly easy to answer it. 
Just state, if you please, my good lady, saying as you safely may that it is upon the best possible authority, just state that if, for many excellent reasons, the gentlemen planters had not thought it advisable to take these poor wretches under their protection by making regular lawful slaves of them, so that they cannot, luckily for them, get away. If it was not for this, you will be pleased to say that it is satisfactorily proved by all the philosophers as have examined the subject that they would, beyond all question, in a very few years be found running about in the forests on all fours, just like any other beasts, unless, indeed, as some think would have been the case, they would come to an end by eating one another up. This, my dear lady, is what we have saved them from, and this is what ought to be put forward before the eyes of all Europe. And so it shall, sir, said Mrs. Allen Barnaby, again rising with an air of indescribable dignity. Blind, indeed, must those be who cannot see the light when it is thus admirably put before them. Madam, you are a thorough lady, replied the judge with a low bow. And now I put the question whether we should not be the better for a little more of good Mrs. Carmichael's lemonade for the ladies and whiskey for the gentlemen. And then, to my judgment, it would be most convenient that we should not remain much longer, there being much desirability in our taking ourselves off before this good lady shall have lost out of her head all that I have been endeavouring to put in it. End of chapter 20